So anyhow, Luke chapter 2, verses 51 to 52, and if you would also put your finger in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 8, 14 through 18, we will want to, I, I want you to, to, the Hebrews passage should be able to put the Luke passage into some context for us. Now these verses we're going to look at today, typically they're used for revealing the humanity of Christ as you, you know, when people are talking about their Christology, uh, you're developing a Christology. These, this is one of the verses, this is one of the standard verses that is used to develop a good Christology when you're, when you're looking at the, act, the humanity of Christ. And certainly it is true that these verses, uh, about these verses, and they are a very important aspect of understanding uh, Christ and who he is as the incarnate son of God. But I think these verses carry so much more than just that Christ was fully human. If the Messiah was like us in every way and he grew in wisdom and stature and favor, what does that mean for us as humans? Shouldn't we grow in these ways as well? If obedience is the key, is my obedience alone sufficient? Is, the growth, is this growth limited to spiritual matters, or does it include everyday matters as well? In other words, is this growth just spiritual wisdom, spiritual maturity, and spiritual favor? We live in a fragmented world today, a world where, the spiritual, where people want to separate the spiritual from the rest of the world. They don't want you to bring your spiritualness, your religion, or who you are as a Christian into the workplace. They don't want you to bring it into school. They don't want you to bring it anywhere else other than when you're sitting here in church worshiping. That's where they want you to leave it. That's where they want you to take it. And sometimes that even infects us as Christians. Sometimes we leave... Um, we leave it here at church, and we're, we're not that we necessarily act differently outside, but we don't even we don't think with the mind of Christ when we're at work. We don't think with the mind of Christ when we're at school or in our everyday life when we're at home with our families. And I think this verse speaks to the fact that 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 growth in wisdom and stature and favor encompasses the whole of your life. And I, that's what I want to look at today. Luke chapter 2, verses 51 through 52 says, Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them, them being his parents. His mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. Now let's look at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18 to kind of help put this in some context for us. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. For it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers in every way so that he could become the merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tested and has suffered, he is able to help those who are tested. 
Ladies and gentlemen, when Jesus Christ became the incarnate Son of God here on earth, he became like us in every way. Not just, he didn't just assume some sort of humanity. He became fully human. And that has implications for you and I and everything that we do. We should see, we, as we look at him, as we look at Christ's life, it teaches us what it means to be fully human. And growing in wisdom and stature and favor is part of what it means to be fully human. And I want to look at that today. Growth begins with obedience. The other thing I want you guys to understand too is that, you know, we got these two verses. You know, we just went through Christmas and we spent a lot of time talking about Jesus' birth. And in April, Easter's coming up, and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the suffering of Christ. And, and in the intervening months, we'll spend time looking at passages, I'm sure, that deal with the different ministries of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus and everything else. But rarely do we take the time to look at these two verses, which encompass 18 years of Jesus' life. Guys, understand that? You realize that? These two verses encompass 18 years of Christ's life. Now, the rest of the Gospels talk about three years of his life. This is 18 years of Christ's life. And it's not that those 18 years aren't important. Because remember, Christ was the sinless Lamb of God. In other words, he had to remain sinless during this 18 years as well. And it's during this time that he's growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. So growth begins with obedience. So what does that look like? First, it begins by recognizing to whom the appropriate respect is to be shown, and then it involves submission in the sense of voluntary love. Now this is, this is what I believe is the foundation for growth of any kind, so this begs the question, to what or to whom are we to be obedient? And that, of course, depends on your worldview. If you talk to somebody in the world, they'll be obedient to themselves. Well, to thine own self be true is what they'll say. But if you are a, if you are a, conf, uh, a confessional believer in Jesus Christ, if you say, yes, I am a Christian, yes, I believe that Jesus is God's son and he died for me on the cross and he is the way to salvation, then you are proclaiming that God is, your, is the person to whom you want to be obedient. And he, you're proclaiming him to be your primary authority in whom you will be obedient. And the reason we do that is because God is the creator of us. Genesis 1.1, for in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God is our creator. There is no other source, primary source of authority in our lives, or there should be no other primary source of authority in our lives. There should be no other source that you give complete and utter obedience to. And you might think to yourself, well, if I only give complete and utter obedience to God, then that, does that mean I don't have to give complete and utter obedience to my parents? You know, I can see some of the wheels of the kids turning, you know. Oh, man, he said I only have to obey God. <laughs> no, because God says obey your parents, okay? Oh, darn it. <laughs> does that mean I don't have to be obedient at work? No, God says be obedient to the authorities that have been placed upon you, but God is the primary source of our obedience. And that's an important thing to remember because 
One, obedience is there is no neutrality when it comes to obedience. You will either be obedient to God or you'll be obedient to the sin in your life, to your, to your fleshly nature. You'll pick one or the other. So you're either obedient to God or obedient to sin. There's no neutral, there's, there's no neutral ground. Okay? And, and, and you decide that each and every day, each and every moment of the day, you decide who you're going to be obedient to, either to God or to yourself. Either God or the flesh. Paul tells us that. You need to pick one. We all have, um, and the reason this is important is because without uh, God being our, our primary source of obedience, then what, what causes us to be obedient to, to the others around us, to, the, to our secondary authorities? If God's not my primary source of obedience, why should I obey my parents? If God's not my primary source of obedience, why should I obey my boss? Or why should I obey my teacher? Absent some external reason, in other words, you know, we bribe kids, kids sometimes. We say, hey, if you, I'll give you some candy if you'll clean up your room. Well, that's an external source of obedience, isn't it? Or I'll give you an allowance if you'll do these, this, this, and this chore. That's an external source of obedience. Ultimately, though, everybody has to learn that they're either going to be obedient to God or they're going to be obedient to man. And if you're only obedient to man, then you have to have some sort of external source to prompt that obedience. You know, when we go to work, you get a paycheck, you know, you get a paycheck and that, you know, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do what my boss tells me because I like getting that paycheck at the end of the month, or I like getting that paycheck every two weeks. Okay. So I'm going to be obedient to what my boss tells me so that I can continue to get this paycheck. But if we are obedient to God, then we, are, then we will be obedient to our bosses no matter what, okay? Because we are our primary source of obedience is to God. Jesus was obedient to those in authority over him. When his parents, you know, when, when his parents first left, th- these verses we're reading come at the end of uh, the, the lesson on, you know, they had gone to Jerusalem to the, the Passover feast, and Mary and Joseph leave, thinking Jesus is with somebody in the caravan, and then a day or so later, they figure out, hey, Jesus isn't here, and they go back, they finally find him, and where is he at? He's, he's in the synagogue, and, when, and they, they ask him, you know, where were you? And he says, well, why were you searching for me? He asked them, didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? He's obedient to the Father. God is his primary source of authority. But Jesus was also obedient to his earthly parents. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother kept all these things in her heart. Jesus was obedient no matter what the situation was. Though he was God's son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. No matter what the situation, Jesus was obedient. And he remained obedient all the way to the cross, John 14, 31, on the contrary, so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do as the Father commanded. Jesus is on his way to the cross at this point, and he's doing what the Father commanded. No matter what, Jesus was obedient. If you can't find, if you cannot if you will not be obedient to God, you will not grow in wisdom, stature, or favor. 
Obedience is the foundation that this is built on. Jesus was obedient in every way and every stage of life. And this is so significant that it bears what I'm going to call a little extra for you. It's a bonus. Kind of like that. My, my, we, on YouTube, there's that deal guy. You know, the 10 things you have to buy at Costco. Plus three bonus things, you know. This is the bonus things right here. And, and, and I, I give you this because this is so significant. I could have preached just on this subject alone today. Uh, but, but God laid on my heart this other stuff. But this is significant. So please, this is, just, this is for you. If Jesus is going to be our Passover lamb, he must be sinless. Even now as a child, Jesus is beginning the process of being observed to see if he is worthy of being the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Exodus chapter 12 is the instructions for selecting the Passover lamb. It says, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's families, one animal per family. You must have an unblemished animal, a year old male. You are to keep it until the 14th day of the month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. Jesus' birth in Bethlehem was the father letting the world know that he had selected the lamb. And for the next 33 years, Jesus is observed. Just like the lamb in Exodus is observed for four days to make sure, one, that it, is un, that it does not have any blemishes, but also to make sure that it's cared for. The family would care for this lamb to make sure that it was not injured, to make sure that it would be a good lamb to be sacrificed. It became personal for that family. And so this is the lamb Jesus is observed for 33 years to see if he will be the sinless lamb, the the perfect lamb, the spotless lamb that is worthy to be sacrificed for your sins and my sins. Throughout all those 33 years, the father cared for the lamb and Jesus remained the sinless lamb of God. And that is to your benefit and my benefit because he was obedient to the father. Because he was obedient to the father. So I ask you, who is the primary source that you choose to obey. Deuteronomy 27.10 says, Obey the Lord your God and follow His commands and statutes I am giving you today. Matthew 7.21, Jesus tells, uh, tells the crowd, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now let me be clear here, we are not saved by works, okay? I'm not saying that being obedient and doing good works is how you get to heaven. It, but doing the will of the Father begins with believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He died on the cross for your sins and that you acknowledge that He is Lord and He is the only way to heaven. That is being obedient to the Father. That's where the obedience begins. So now that we kind of set what the, the foundation for our growth is, being obedient to the Father, let's look at what it does mean to grow. Growth means to move forward to an improved state or to pro progress or to advance in whatever is good or what is bad. Okay, You can grow in badness as well as goodness. All right, I know some of you don't, 
don't like to think about that, but you, you, you're going to grow either way. Again, it's not, there's no neutrality here. You're either growing in towards goodness or you're growing towards badness. There's no neutrality here. So growth and wisdom. Wisdom is the capacity to understand and to function accordingly. Wisdom is the God-given ability to use God-given knowledge in a way that brings glory to God through every aspect of your life. So growth and wisdom presupposes having knowledge. In other words, you can, you, can have, gain, um, you can have knowledge without having wisdom, but is it impossible to have wisdom without having some knowledge? Okay, because wisdom is how you use the knowledge, right? So this presupposes that, that, that we have gained knowledge. Jesus grew in wisdom, therefore the implication is that Jesus had to gain knowledge as well. The Bible tells us that Joseph was a righteous man. In other words, he would, so he would have been following the dictates of, of the Old Testament. It was common in this day for parents to, to teach the Shema to their children, to have them read it, to teach them to read and write using the Shema. So De Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving to you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Joseph and Mary would teach Jesus scriptures. They would teach Jesus about God. And you would say, well, but didn't Jesus already know that? Remember, we're talking about Jesus' humanity here, not his divinity. We're Jesus grew in his, he became like us in every way. Okay, we're talking about his humanity. Jesus was able to see the faithfulness of others um, as he grew up. Luke 2.41 said, every year his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. So he was taught how to worship God. He, was, he saw his family being faithful. Okay, He learned all of this. He saw what it looked like for adults to worship. He saw what it looked like and what it meant to do that. And Jesus participated by asking questions and listening. Luke 2, 46-47, after three days... They found him in the temple complex, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All those who heard him were astounded at his understanding and answers. In other words, growing in wisdom in includes gaining more knowledge and actively participating in that, in that gaining of knowledge, not just passively sitting by and hoping that you catch it all the time. Actively participating. In fact, the verb that is used in this is, is, is not a passive verb. It indicates progression and involvement by Jesus. He also learned to read. Now, I throw this in because a few days ago I read an article in some of my schoolwork that I'm doing. I read an article um, in, in a book that is called the, An Encyclopedia of Education, and this article is written by a man supposedly has a THM, although it didn't say where he got it from. But he indicated that Jesus and all the disciples were illiterate. Then I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. Luke 4.16 says, now Jesus came to Nazareth, 
where he had been brought up and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and as was his custom, or as was his custom, and he stood up to read. I mean, that's a pretty clear statement that Jesus knew how to read. He is not illiterate. Okay? Jesus was not illiterate. He knew how to read. Now, it may seem like most of this stuff we're talking about here has to do with spiritual knowledge and spiritual wisdom, but we find that Jesus, as a human being, lived in the same world that you and I live in and work in, and he also learned to be a carpenter. Mark 6, 3 says, isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary? Jesus, in fact, Jesus worked as a carpenter longer than he was in public ministry. Three years in public ministry... If you say, well, he became a, you know, he, and I'm, typically children around age 12 would start working with their fathers to learn their father's uh, profession, whatever it was. Or if they didn't want to learn their father's profession, do what their father did, then they would oftentimes be apprenticed out to somebody else. You know, if, well, I don't want to be a carpenter. I want to be a farmer. Okay, we'll go work with this guy then. But Jesus became a carpenter, so he would have been working with his father, and so he's working as a carpenter up until the time he goes into public ministry. He worked as a carpenter longer than he was in public ministry. Jesus' growth in wisdom, so thus, as Jesus grows in wisdom, it's including growing in wisdom as a carpenter as well, not just in spiritual matters. So was Jesus, when Jesus worked as a carpenter, is that secular or is that sacred? I mean, this is Jesus Christ we're talking about here. What is that? The, the implications of this, you know, as, I, as I'm reading through this, as I'm studying this, the implications of this for, for all of you that have jobs outside of the church, which is 99% of you here, your jobs are important. Your life, your vocation is who you are in Christ. Growing in wisdom impacts every aspect of your life. Not just coming to church. Not just learning about praising God. Not just learning the Shema, but learning what it means, how, what it means to live that way every day in every aspect of your life. That's growing in wisdom. How do I do this? How do I be, uh, you know, a mechanic? Am I a mechanic that's a Christian, or am I a Christian mechanic? And you might say, well, that just sounds like semantics, but, you, but, it, it, but it has vital importance because do you live as, a, you know, is your Christian life separated from you being a mechanic, or is it part of who you are as a mechanic? And my suggestion to you here is that that for Jesus being a carpenter was not separated from who he was as the Son of God. It was part of who he was. He was appointed, you know, the Bible says that in the, in the right time, at the appointed time, Jesus came to the earth, okay, became incarnate. Well, that appointed time, that right time, is more than just at his birth. That wasn't just the only right time. Everything about Jesus' life was appointed. Everything about his life was appointed. From the time he was a carpenter, that time was appointed by God. When he started his public ministry, that time was appointed by God. Remember what he told Mary when she wanted him to help out at the wedding feast. What did he tell her? Well, my time has not yet come. And now he still went ahead and, you know, 
turn the water into wine. And that's a whole other sermon. But, but my point is, he's indicating that every aspect of his life was appointed by God. And if we're growing in wisdom, growing in wisdom is not just in the spiritual realm. Growing in wisdom is in every aspect of your life. Jesus lived his life predicated upon his relationship with God. That's what we need to do. And that's how he grew in wisdom because he lived his life predicated upon his relationship with God. And he grew in wisdom that way. So he grew in wisdom as a carpenter. Unless you think being a carpenter is easy. Is it easy, Tim, to be a carpenter? You, you don't just slap things together and hope that it works, right? You know, being a carpenter, you have to know math. You have to understand some, some engineering because if you put wood together in the wrong way, it's going to fall apart, okay? If you don't build the house right, it's going to fall apart. So you have, there, there's a lot of things you have to understand to be a good carpenter. And you'll see the implications of that as we continue through this, this sermon. You'll see the implications of that Jesus understood what it meant to be a good carpenter impacted his finding favor with God and men. Okay? It impacts everything. Now, I hope you've noticed that Jesus' growth and wisdom included other people playing their parts as a teacher in his life. And that's why I asked the question in my opening is, is my obedience alone sufficient? Is my obedience alone sufficient for me to grow in wisdom? And I'm suggesting to you that it's not. You need the obedience of other people. We talk about family. This is a family here at our church, right? We are growing as a body. We are not just all an ear. We're not just all a foot. We are a body and we need each other. My obedience alone for me isn't enough. I need your obedience as well. Jesus needed his parents to be obedient to teach him the things in the, in the, in the you know, to teach him uh, the Shema. He needed his parents to be obedient in taking him to the Passover feast. He needed other pe- his father to be obedient to teach him how to be a carpenter. He needed other people in his life to be obedient. We need the same thing. Parents, you need to be obedient in teaching your children not just about God, but about life. You need to be obedient in making sure that your children have the right material to learn and understand and the right other teachers in their lives. That's part of your job. That's part of you being obedient. Older men, you need to be obedient in teaching the younger men. Older women, you need to be obedient in teaching the younger women. You see the implications of this verse just keep rippling out, rippling out, and rippling out. It's not just something as simple as, well, I'm going to grow in wisdom, I'm going to grow, you know. It's not that simple. It reverberates out and out and out, and you have a part to play, just as I have a part to play. It's the beauty of being in a church that looks at everybody as a family. We all play our part. Now, growth in stature. Now, the word stature has several meanings. It can be age. Jesus did grow older. It can be size. Jesus grew taller. Or it can be growth into adulthood. 
Now, several commentators uh, interpret this passage to be Jesus grew taller. And certainly physical growth is part of that, but physical growth is a passive action. And as I stated earlier, the verb used in this verse is not a passive verb. In fact, you know, growing tall, I got to six foot two at seventh grade when I was 12 years old. I haven't grown since, okay? I was kind of bummed. I mean, I thought, you know, when you're a seventh grader and six foot two, you're thinking, all right, I'm going to get to six foot four or something like that. You know, not that, you know, acting as if six foot two isn't tall enough or something. But, but my point is, is that all of us grow, you know, our physical growth isn't really up to us, okay? We grow, you know, based on our DNA. It's a passive event. It just happens to us. Now, I know some of you may be thinking, well, wait a minute, though. You can control your growth. No, you can only stunt your growth. You can do things that stunt your growth by not eating right and, you know, doing a bunch of other stuff you shouldn't be doing. You can stunt your growth, but you can never cause yourself to get taller, okay? So that's a passive event. So, um, in that, so it seems that it would be more correct uh, for the interpreter, and there are several commentators that interpret it, that stature points to growth into adulthood, or maturity, and moral character. And I would, I would tend to, to look at it that way, that this growth in stature is a growth into a, a adulthood, maturity, and moral character. And Jesus grew into the fullness of what it became, what it means to become human. Other, that, that's what this is really saying. He grew into the fullness of what it means to be human, both as a carpenter and as a teacher and as anything else that he did. So as Jesus matured, he put away childish things and childish reasoning and acted and reasoned as a man does, as Paul writes. Uh, for since he himself was tested and has suffered, he is able to help those who are tested. That's talking about growing in character. James 1.4 says, But endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Okay? And then 2 Corinthians 2.9 I wrote for this purpose, to test your character, to see if you are obedient in everything. Jesus grew in moral character. He grew into adulthood. He grew into what it means to be a man, or, or you know, if he had been a woman, into what it would mean to be a woman. He grew into what it means to be a human being, okay, in all of its aspects, now, Jesus was not just tested by Satan in the wilderness and at the cross. Oftentimes, when we talk about the temptations of Jesus, we look at these two events. But Jesus was tested his whole life. I mean, what 13-year-old wants to do chores, right? How many of you like to do chores? Probably none, but you do it anyways because you're being obedient. A lot of kids don't like to work with their parents, and I can't say one way or the other, uh, whether, you know, the Bible doesn't say, but I'm guessing that Jesus enjoyed working with Joseph. What kid likes to go to school? Yes, they did have schools back then. They're just not quite the same as what we have today. Jesus passed all those tests growing up. Remember, we're starting, this verse starts with Jesus at age 12. Okay? It starts with Jesus at age 12. And he was obedient. He remained obedient. And he grew into the adult that God wanted him to be. Okay? He grew in stature. We need to do the same thing. Can you say with Paul, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things? 
Now, sometimes my wife might say, man, I still feel like I got a kid at home. <laughs> That's because, you know, sometimes I just like to act goofy or whatever. But, but if as adults we're not putting away childish things and reasoning and acting like an adult, there's a problem. Okay, there's a problem in our life that needs to be changed. Because we have been redeemed, we should be able to say with Paul from Philippians, not not that I have already reached the goal or am already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. We should strive to grow in maturity, to grow in stature. Jesus grew in stature. We should do the same thing. That's what it means to be human, to grow in stature, maturity, moral character. As I was preparing for this, I came across a uh, sermon illustration. And let me just say, say this. I am not a Giants fan, so I don't want any of you Kansas City fans or Cardinal fans coming up and getting mad at me. I am not a Giants fan, but this is a great illustration of living out moral character in life, in your profession. This is from the Baptist Press and put together by Jim Wilson. It says, at the end of the 2012 baseball season, many people expected the San Francisco Giants to put outfielder Melky Cabrera, who had been suspended for using a banned substance, on their postseason roster to help them make a run at the world championship. The team decided character was, an important, was as important as production and left Cabrera off the roster. They won the World Series anyways. In 2014, the Giants won another championship, and Bobby Evans, one of the men who makes the key decisions for the club, says his goal is the same as it was in 2012, to honor Christ in all that he does. Evans has been with the Giants since 2006, and, through his, and though his title has changed, his job includes negotiating player contracts, helping acquire free agents, and signing minor league talent. Evans says there can be pressure to be dishonest in some situations, but he wants to be known for being truthful. He said, you want your life to point people to Christ, and it starts for me with my own relationship with Christ. That's going to direct and dictate what influence I have for Christ in my family, in my marriage, and in the workplace. This man lived his life predicated upon his relationship with God, and it makes a difference. It makes a difference. You want to grow in moral character, live your life based on your relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and you will live a better life. You will grow in character. You will grow in stature. 1 Peter 1.7 says, Such trials show the proven character of your faith, which is much more valuable than gold, gold that is tested by fire even though it is passing away, and will bring praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. We all, will all face tests in our life. If you want to grow in moral character, grow in stature, grow into adulthood, you face tests each and every day. Are you living your life based on your relationship with God? That's the only way you're going to pass the tests that prove your character. It's the only way you will pass and improve your character. 
Now, favor, it refers to developing sincere relationships with God and others. In other words, favor can be looking kindly upon someone or treating someone with special regard. Favor can be gained by means of good character, gifts, service, or through the intervention of God. Matthew Poole in 1685 said, As God daily increased his grace and favor towards Jesus, God gave Jesus favor with the people of Galilee, so that when Jesus started his ministry, his reputation had already been established. Now I ask, and that's certainly true, but I ask, if Jesus had not been faithful in his work as a carpenter, would he have still had favor with God and men in Galilee? And my answer to that would be no. We all know people. We've all been to, um, you know, and you can think of any profession. This isn't picking on any one profession. But there are good doctors and there are bad doctors. There are good mechanics and bad mechanics. There's good carpenters, bad carpenters. There are people, I can think, even in my, my, my own experience in law enforcement, there were guys that I enjoyed working with and guys that I thought, man, I never want to work with that one. Because they're going to get in trouble, and I'll get in trouble too because I happen to be on the scene. I didn't want to work with them. They had the same training as I did. They went through all the same schooling that I did. But they didn't work with wisdom and moral character. And so thus their work product was not as good. And I didn't want to be around them. Okay? If Jesus had not been faithful as a carpenter, he would not have had favor with the men in Galilee. And by being faithful as a carpenter, I don't mean just that he was always honest, although he certainly would have been always honest. He must have been at least good at the job, right? He must have at least been good at the job in what he did. His product worked. If people wanted him to build something, whatever it was, it must have worked. Otherwise, people say, don't go to him, okay? Don't use him. And again, I point that out to say that every aspect of your life, not just coming to church, not just your relationship with God, every aspect of your life should be predicated upon your relationship with God. Here at church and out in the workplace, if you're a teacher, be a great teacher. Be a teacher that serves God, that teaches as a in relationship to what God has already put on your heart and your mind and in all the other position, professions as well. Proverbs 3 says, never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Tie them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will find favor and high regard in the sight of God and man. I submit to you that Jesus never let loyalty and faithfulness leave him. And he grew in wisdom and stature and favor. We should never let loyalty and faithfulness leave us. And the only way that we can hold on to that, the only way that we will never let them leave us, is if we continually look to God. If we live every part of our life looking at God and saying, lead me in this way. You are the one that directs my life. There are dangers in seeking only the favor of men. Galatians 1.10 says, Am I now trying to gain the approval of people or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a slave of Christ. 
we're just trying to please men, then we get tempted to water down the gospel. We get tempted to leave the gospel out. We get tempted just not even to tell people that I'm a Christian. Okay? You want to be in the workplace. You want to please everybody in your workplace. It can be tempting to not even let anybody know that you're even a Christian so that they don't look at you funny. But if you are living your whole life, if, if you believe that God has appointed you to be in whatever your profession is, then you will live your life within that profession as it relates to God. You will not hide that from anybody. It will dictate how you do your job. It will dictate how you relate to people. Everything about your life should be predicated upon God. If you show favoritism um, to um, people just because of who they are rather than you know, because they dress nice or or whatever, then, then James says that's wrong as well. There's danger in showing favoritism. So the, the, when we say Jesus grew in favor with God and man, he was not seeking the favor of men explicitly. But because of his moral character and because God worked in men's hearts, they looked upon him favorably. They liked him. That's, you know, I mean, you want to get, boil it down to the, to the simple thing, people liked him. Okay, And you say, well, wait a minute, though, but didn't the people crucify him on the cross? Yeah, but that's when he started preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. That's when he started telling people who he was. Okay, All of that, Jesus dying on the cross was because people refused to believe that the Messiah had come. Because he wasn't the Messiah they had been looking for. They refused to believe that. And that's why they were so angry. And that's why the, it's why the world gets angry at Christians today. They refuse to believe in the Messiah. They refuse to believe that God would send his son to die on the cross for your sins and my sins. And when we run into trouble with people, that's the reason why. Not because we're not good people. Not because we don't have moral character. It's because they don't want to be told that there's only one way to heaven. And Jesus refused to water down the gospel. When he preached the kingdom of God, when he preached about the kingdom of heaven, he preached all the kingdom of heaven. Never water down the gospel. As I bring this to a close here today, I want you to see, you see that all these areas of growth are intertwined with each other. They do all have their, their nuances. And as I was studying this, I was like, oh, are they all saying the same thing? Or does one build upon the other? And in one sense, all of that is true. You know, if you have wisdom, you'll generally have better character. And if you have better character, you'll find favor with God and man. So one builds on the other. But, but they're not, you know, it, it's, they're just all intertwined with each other. Growing in wisdom, stature, and favor involves more than just a passive existence. You can't just passively sit by, say, I'm a believer, and think that all, you know, that's all you have to do. Jesus didn't just passively sit by and grow in wisdom, stature, and favor. He was actively involved in that event. He actively grew in wisdom, stature, and favor. You have to, you must actively grow in wisdom and stature and favor. You must live your life predicated on your relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son.
And if you've not been saved, then I beg you to cry out to God to have mercy on you and to confess Christ as Lord and Savior and that he died for your sins. If you have been saved, then I ask, are you living every aspect of your life in your, as, through the, your relationship with God, or do you separate things out? Are you fragmented? Don't live a fragmented life. Don't live for God when you come to church and live life the rest of the week, okay, without God. Don't be fragmented. Be complete. Be whole. Jesus teaches us what it means to be completely human, is to grow in wisdom and stature and favor. Don't be fragmented. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And I'll close with this prayer from Paul for you. For this reason, we also, from the day we heard about you, have not ceased praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may live worthily of the Lord and please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good deed, growing in the knowledge of God.